0: WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. More portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast
1: at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
0: What we're saying is this. If you don't tremble at the word of God in the basic issues of life and and you don't take the word of God seriously and loyalty to God and his word is not that important in the ordinary things of life, then when it comes to who you will marry, which is a big thing in life, you won't care either. It's an attitude of character. It's an attitude of character. Listen, if you're interested in marrying a non-Christian, it could be and probably is because you're living like one yourself. You just have professed to know Christ, but your life is, is no different. Otherwise, you couldn't stand the thought of marrying someone outside of the faith.
1: Saved people marrying unsaved people is a recipe for disaster. It reminds me of a poem. They say a wife and a husband, bit by bit, can rear between themselves a mighty wall, so thick they cannot speak with ease through it. Nor can they see across it, it stands so tall. Its nearness frightens them, but each alone is powerless to tear its bulk away. And each, dejected, wishes he had known, for such a wall, some magic thing to say. So let us build with master art, my dear, a bridge of love between your life and mine. A bridge of tenderness, and very near. A bridge of understanding, strong and fine. Till we have formed so many lovely ties, There never will be room for walls to rise. You know, it takes care to keep that wall from growing, even in the best matches, right? So why oh why would anyone choose to start a marriage with that wall already in place? And that's what happens when a believer marries an unbeliever. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will continue in Nehemiah chapter 9 as we learn the characteristics of a biblical revival, and specifically, how that revival affects our marriages. Welcome. Welcome. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we'll be wrapping up another of Pastor Steve's sermons in this series. As I said before, biblical revival is personal. Pastor Steve has been covering the four steps to a personal revival, and they are confess your sins to God, reflect on His compassion, accept His discipline, and finally, commit yourself to change. Let's look at that commitment and how it affects every aspect of our lives, especially our marriage relationships. Here's Pastor Steve.
0: Why is it that we can make promises to people? I mean, if you can make a promise to a mortgage company and a bank, certainly you can make a a pledge and a promise to obey what God's Word says. So, really, a promise is necessary because it's a commitment that you will be prone not to break. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's a promise to God. Now, having established the fact that a revival involves a commitment to change, not simply praying about it and not simply having good intentions, well, I plan to change, I'm praying about it. No, it, it's a commitment that you are going to change. What are the areas that need to be changed? What, what areas are affected? When, when God deals with you in revival and you get back with him, uh, what are the areas that need to be adjusted and, and you need to change? Well, the first one is found in verse 30. This is all we're going to look at this morning, but don't, don't tune me out. Actually, everything was, was to bring you to this point. The first change that takes place when you get right with God is marriage and the home. Notice verse 30 of chapter 10. And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. The first area of life. That they promised, the Jewish people promised to change is the area of marriage. They promised not to intermarry with the non Jewish people around them. Now, this is not racial prejudice. In fact, it's not a racial issue at all. It's not snobbishness. Because, and, and, and in case some of you think that, well, it's a racial issue, I still think it would. No. The Jewish people, and maybe you don't realize this, the Jewish people had always contained other people within them. Do you realize that Moses was married to an Ethiopian woman? Do you realize that Rahab and Ruth they were believers, were non-Jews who were ancestors, physical ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible does not forbid interracial marriages. The Bible does not forbid that, but it does forbid marrying a non-believer. That, that's the issue. That's the issue. The issue uh, about intermarriage here and in other places was never racial, but religious. And I want to show you that. If you look at Exodus 34. Exodus, the second book in the Bible. This is very important that you understand this. Important for you parents to understand this. Important for those of you who hope to get married someday that you understand this. Important that you actually get this tape and give, give it to other people who maybe aren't here today but need to hear this. We often speak about the Christian home. I'm going to speak about uh, marrying a non-Christian. and we, we often don't stress that enough. or not I should say not marrying a non-Christian. Exodus 34, notice verse 12. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land in which you are going. That is the Canaanites. Lest it become a snare in your midst, but rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram. And ashram were were wooden symbols of a female deity. That's what it is. For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with the, and they play the harlots with their gods, and sacrifice to their gods become, and someone invite you to eat of their sacrifice, and you take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with your, with their gods, and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. Do you understand what he was saying? Do you understand what he was talking about? Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4 say basically the same thing. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. The reason God said not to marry a pagan was to keep his people from going after pagan gods. That's the reason. In other words, to marry a pagan was to be in danger of wandering from the Jewish faith. The Jewish people were to be distinctly different. Even as believers today are to be distinctly different. We're not to be like the world. That is precisely why a Christian must never, ever, ever marry a non-Christian. Because rather than the Christian having a positive effect and influence on the non-Christian, it doesn't work that way, the unbeliever, more times than not, will bring you down and you will find yourself compromising the word of God. Here's the basic pattern. Doesn't always happen like this, but here's the basic pattern. And and listen, listen to me. What I'm giving to you is wisdom from the word of God. First, if you marry a non-Christian, there will be constant conflicts. Conflicts over all sorts of things. How to raise children. You're not going to agree on that. You're not going to agree on, on that. How to spend money. How to save money. How to use money. Business ethics. He or she didn't have the same ethics that you have. Church involvement. Oh, let's go to church. I don't want to go to church. Well, you did before we were married. Yeah. Sure. Good impression. Then, after conflicts, there will be compromise in some areas. And you know what? You'll just give in. Eventually, you'll just give in. You're so tired of fighting. You're just going to compromise with the attitude. I know it's not right, but what, what, what can I do? What can I do? Church involvement will, will dwindle. will get lower. And then finally, after conflicts and compromise will be complete conformity. He or she will just wear you down. To keep peace in the family, you will not take a stand anymore. You'll just give up trying to fight your your spouse. Now, you may say and think, and there are a lot of naive people who think this way, well, it won't happen to me. Not me. I know better than that. Oh, really? The wisest man on the face of the earth was Solomon, who knew better. All you have to do is read Proverbs, and he knew better. But it happened to him. In 2nd, or rather 1st Kings, this is what Solomon, this is what it is said of Solomon, who knew better and was wiser than any of us here the wisest man on the earth, it says in First Kings 11, it said, now Solomon, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, neither shall they associate with you, for you shall surely, they will surely turn your heart away uh, after their God Solomon held fast to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Now David had some difficulty in his life, but his heart did not stray from the Lord. Solomon's did, and it was because of marrying non-believers. And he knew better than that. So don't think that, oh, I know better, it won't happen to me. Uh, you read Proverbs and the wisdom of Solomon, if it happened to him, it will surely happen to you. Now, to those of you who are Christians and thinking about marrying a non-Christian, and I want you parents to hear this too, because I'm going to say something to you parents after a while. Those of you who are thinking of marrying a non-Christian, I I want to ask you a basic question. Why? Why would you do this? Why marry a non-Christian? And I realize that we're not dialoguing, so let me try to answer it for you. And uh, maybe I can answer from a historical perspective. Let's think about the Jewish people here. Why would they not marry other Jewish people? Why would they go outside of the faith when God specifically said, don't, don't do this? Why would they do this? Let me give you several suggestions. Number one, because their faith actually meant very little to them. It meant very little to them. Loyalty to the Lord was not really important to them, not a priority in life. Uh, we know this from Ezra chapter 9. Ezra is about the same time as Nehemiah, so, so you, can even, you can take this together. And this was an ongoing problem, by the way, in Nehemiah's day. You'll see this in chapter 13. There was intermarriage. That's why they said, we're not going to do it anymore. But Ezra chapter 9, just one book back, verse 1. Now, when these things had been completed, the princes approached me, Ezra said, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. According to the abominations, those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has intermingled with the peoples of the lands. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. Now, you understand what he's saying? We've not, sep- Ezra, they've not separated. Uh, some of them, even the higher ups, even the princes of the land have married uh, Gentile uh, daughters. Verse 3, when I heard about this matter, Ezra said, I tore my garments and my robe and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down appalled. He, he's in grief. But watch this, verse 4, then everyone who trembled at the word of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me and I sat appalled until the evening offering. There's a contrast here. There are some who had intermarried and then there are others who trembled at the word of God. Those who had intermarried had not trembled at the word of God. What we're saying is this. If you don't tremble at the word of God in the basic issues of life, and and you don't take the word of God seriously, and loyalty to God and his word is not that important in the ordinary things of life, then when it comes to who you will marry, which is a big thing in life, you won't care either. It's an attitude of character. It's an attitude of character. Listen, listen. If you're interested in marrying a non-Christian, it, it could be and probably is because you're living like one yourself. You just have professed to know Christ, but your life is, is no different. Otherwise, you couldn't stand the thought of marrying someone outside of the faith. Listen to this, and you ought to mark this down. You ought to turn here. Every parent should turn here. Every young person should turn here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is the most definitive, straightforward verse on the whole issue for New Testament Christians. I just mean Christians in the New Testament era. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And it's beyond marriage. It's any kind of partnership. It could be business. It could be a religious alliance. But it's applied to marriage in what I'm saying Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14, do not be bound together or as the King James version says, unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership have have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What a great question. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be, uh, and, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I, I love that statement. What do you have in common with an unbeliever? You should have nothing in common. Nothing of any spiritual nature, nothing of any depth. You should have different priorities. You should have different values, different goals, different lifestyles, different ambitions. Why would you be attracted to an unbeliever? Unless you are living like an unbeliever, and that's what attracts you. There should be no spiritual compatibility. If there is a spiritual compatibility, something is terribly wrong with you. Terribly wrong. But why would you do that? Well, that's the first reason I want to suggest, because you're not living like you should live. And that's, these Jewish people were not living like they should live, so they'd be attracted to the Gentiles. They were basically in behavior just like them. But it brings us to a second point. Second reason a Christian might want to marry a non-Christian, if it's not spiritual attraction, maybe it's physical attraction. It must be. Because it can't be spiritual attraction. Maybe it's physical attraction, and by that I mean the emotions, the feelings. You know who I'm reminded of who, who allowed his feelings to control him and marry a non-believer. Samson, listen to this, in Judges chapter 14, it came to my mind this week, I've just been reading, well, a few weeks ago about Samson, and um, it says in, in Judges 14, listen to this, then Samson went down to Timnah, and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, and God said, don't marry them, I mean, they were the enemy, they were unbelievers, so he came back and told his father and mother, because, you know, in those days, a father and mother arranged the marriage. That's why he said this. I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Nice guy. Then his father and his mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you uh, go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her from me, for she looks good to me. Why get her from me? She's good-looking, Dad. I want her. That's, that's really what he said. She looks good to me. She looks great to me. It doesn't matter that I'm violating the Word of God. Remember the hypocrisy here. Samson did not cut his hair. He had a Nazarite, took a Nazarite vow, had everything external going for him. He would never think of touching his hair, but he wouldn't obey God didn't care about what God's word says. You know, he was really a weak man for all of his physical strength. He's one of the weakest men in the Bible because he was controlled by his own passions. She looks good to me. I want her. Get her for me. That's all there is to it. A weak man controlled by his passions, undisciplined in life. Something looked good to him. He wants it. That was it. Now, that was Samson's real problem, ruled by his own emotions. Remember in Judges, there's a recurring phrase in Judges which sums up Samson's problems and really all of our problems. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Samson said, she looks good to me, get her for me. And, and not only, I might say, not only wasn't he obedient to the Lord, he was highly uh, disrespectful uh, to his own father and mother. If you're thinking of marrying a non-believer, I urge you to not let your lust, your emotions, your passions blind you to the truth. And that's often what happens. You are in danger of allowing your feelings to lead you rather than what the Bible says. That's a great, great error that you are making. Your emotions will lead you to rationalize and justify something. Like, like for example, but he's so nice to me. I, I haven't met a Christian young man or a Christian young lady who's this nice. It'll, it'll be different for us. He loves me. He treats me well. We All we need is love. And, and you don't understand. And if I wait long enough, I wait for the kind of person you're telling me to wait for, I'll be an old maid. Or I'll be an old man. What's the answer to this? First of all, trust the Lord. Does he love you? Yes. Does he have a plan for your life? Yes. But my friends are getting married now. Trust the Lord. That's the first thing. Secondly, uh, the issue is not will this marriage work out. You know, he loves me. It'll work out. It will treat. That's not the issue at all. It's not the question to ask. Will it work out? The question to ask is, will it enjoy God's blessing? Is it pleasing to the Lord? Not will it work out? Will it please the Lord? And it will not please the Lord if you marry an unbeliever. Will not please him. You say, but but he's gorgeous, she's gorgeous. Let me tell you, in about 20 years, things will change. If you're marrying for that, uh, it's going to change. Maybe five years, it's going to change. And and parents, I want to say something to you at this point. Notice verse 30 of Nehemiah 10. It really is addressed to the parents, or the parents speak up, that we will not, as parents, we'll not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons, I realize that parents in those days uh, arranged marriages, and in our day and age, we don't don't do that. But parents do play a major role in preparing their children for marriage by attitudes, by training, by teaching. Always teach, always teach your children from the time they're young and on up that marrying a non-Christian is not an option. It's just not an option. Don't even give them the thought that, well, she's nice. I guess it's okay. You might lead her to the Lord. You might lead him to the Lord. It doesn't work like that. There's no such thing as marriage evangelism. And for every one story you hear about someone who's converted, you'll hear about 1,000, 2,000, maybe 100,000 where it didn't work like that. In fact, I, um, I have a dear friend who said, everyone you have, that you, she married an unbeliever. Been married for years. Been a very difficult life. She said, anytime you have an opportunity to tell people not to do it, tell them not to do it from me. Parents, tell your children. It's not an option. You don't just want to marry a Christian. You want to marry a Christian who who lives like a Christian. Because the one who doesn't live like a Christian is probably not a Christian anyway. Always teach them that marrying a non-Christian is not an option. And don't let them date non-Christians. In our culture, when you get to a certain age, the only reason for a date, I mean, basically, when you get a little older, the reason for it, when you reach around 18, 19, 20, every date becomes a potential spouse. Every date. Every date becomes a potential spouse. Don't ever let them date a non-Christian, because they'll get emotionally involved. And clear thinking flies right out the door. What reason would there be to date a non-Christian? Well, I'll, I'll witness to him. I don't think so. I don't think that's a good idea. If you, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. You want to witness to him, bring him to the youth group. Bring him to a class. Take, ask him to speak to a, a man or a woman in the church, their own gender, can share the faith with them. Every date is a potential spouse. And don't counsel them to look for someone who just treats them well. Well, he's good to her. That's all I want. That's not all you ought to want. You ought to want... What God wants and that is for your daughters your sons, to marry a godly godly person because remember this and this happens so often before you get married they treat you so well but if they're not christians most likely after marriage you gonna see their well you will see their real colors you'll see their true colors come out what you see their behavior before marriage is the best it's going to be let's put it that way if they're not believers it's the best they're going to be once you're married goes downhill if they don't know the Lord. If they know the Lord, then there's another motive. They want to please him. So I think you need to take these things to heart. So when revival comes to your life, it does affect your marriage. And we didn't even deal with that about if you are married to a believer. It does affect your marriage there too. You're going to treat her better and she's going to treat you better. And uh, changes are going to be there because that's the basic area of life. That's where you live. Those are the people who see you every day. Marriage in the home will change when there's revival. Revival changes other areas, and we'll look at this, Lord willing, next week.
1: In fact, revival probably changes every area of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book that we've been studying and the practical lessons it contains. Help us each day to spend some time prayerfully reading it with the goal of being more like Jesus. Help us apply these truths, confess our sins, consider your grace, accept your correction, and commit our lives to obedience. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in some Sunday if you're in Clearwater and looking for a place to worship. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. For directions and service times, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That's also the number to call if you'd like to have a free audio CD of the sermon Pastor Steve just finished. Ask for message 4419, Steps to a Personal Revival, Part 2. The message number again is 4419, and the phone number is 727-441-1714. Verse by verse is listener supported, so we're extremely thankful to and for the kind listeners who help us stay on the air. If you're interested in being part of our support team, Call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Or you can go to the giving page on our website, versebyverseradio.org, and find out how you can give securely and conveniently online. While you're there, stop by the Message Archive page, and you can download or stream any of the hundreds...